everybody doing? Welcome to the Rise to Offend podcast. The podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and the end result of it. I'm your host, Petra Speich, and this week we go back 15 years to arguably the greatest sketch comedy show of all time, Chappelle Show. A show that only produced 28 episodes, but created a massive cultural shift and redefined the identity of comedy in the future. Chappelle Show. Premiering on Comedy Central January 22nd, 2003, and co-created by Half-Baked writers Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan, expectations were high, simply because of Chappelle's work as a stand-up comic and his creative viewpoints and takes on life. On episode one, Dave and Neil pushed every boundary fans hoped for. They went for broke, using that platform as far as they could before, as they put it, they got canceled. Here's a clip of Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan discussing the closing sketch of the first episode, the Clayton Bigsby sketch, in which Dave plays a blind African-American white supremacist. Good Lord, we're back. Welcome to Chappelle Show. I still haven't been canceled yet, but I'm working on it. And I think this next piece might be the one to do it. This is probably the wildest thing I've ever done in my career. And I showed it to a black friend of mine. He looked at me like I had set black people back with a comedy sketch. Sorry. All right, now, Black Friend, we showed this to a guy named Say Adams who did, like, he did every album cover in, like, Def Jam history. He did Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys, he did Public Enemy, he did uh, Jay-Z, DMX, all that shit. Like, he's an incredibly bright, sharp, cutting-edge dude. He's also a feminist and a vegetarian. That gives you that Feminist, vegetarian, and also, you know what I found out recently? Never curses. Okay, so yeah, he's going to have a problem So he this. watches this, and he literally thought, it felt like, he said it was like the time Adam Horowitz said the N-word at the Apollo. Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys. So we had, that was the first person we showed the sketch to, first black person at that, and we thought it was, we were done for. Then we showed it a few weeks later at a show at Caroline's. It did really well with the audience. I saw Say later, and he said, People will laugh at anything. Like Dave, tell them about the where the sketch came from. I've been sitting on this one for a while. This was a based off of a story my grandfather told me. My grandfather, if you ever saw him, looked like a white person. Probably was a white person. He was born in a white hospital in 1911, which is impossible for a black woman to have a baby in a white hospital under any circumstance. Meaning, like his father was probably white, or yeah, either his dad, no, his. Father was probably black. Remember, the mom's white. Oh, okay. Right. So the dad was either black or white. Nobody knows. He could be white. That's how crazy it is. Long story short, as far as he knows, he's a black dude that grew up in the streets of D.C. So uh, and he grew up in it. He went to a school for the blind. He was blind. He was a blind dude, so he didn't know. But they had to tell kids that he was white so he wouldn't get in any trouble. They told me a story one time when he... Uh, he was on a, a bus the day after Martin Luther King got shot in Washington, D.C., and some brothers were harassing a white dude, like, get off the bus, you honker. What you doing on this bus? We should kill you, man. You should kill you for being around here. Who do you think you are? And my grandfather's thinking, man, what white person would be crazy enough to ride a bus the day after Martin Luther King got shot in D.C.? And at a certain point, he realized they were talking to him. Uh, <laughs> so he talked his way out of it. He got real street on telling how he's a soul brother and this, that, and the other. <laughs> uh, Which doesn't really work anymore, by the way. Yeah, soul brother's not the way you go with that. But the uh, the idea was, was very striking, so the inverse of that became this, this Clayton Bigsby sketch. Did I mention that before? And joining me, guys, uh, Rise to Offend founder. <laughs> His last episode was last week. <laughs> Back again, back again. Uh, Brandon Guchon, everybody. Uh, so, Brandon, do you remember watching the first episode of Chappelle Show? Yes. Okay. And I, I, I remember making it at a point to watch it because at that time, uh, I was probably 24. The only reason I know how old I was is because I remember the house I was living in. I remember watching it. I remember making it a point because Dave Chappelle, to me, was already the best comic I ever saw. And this is... This was uh, a little bit after he recorded uh, Killing Him Softly, which is, 
If you have HBO Go, check it out right now. Go see it. It's still hilarious. But I remember watching this show, and I was a little worried because I was like, oh, my hero's going to be doing a sketch show. This could suck. Well, and, and that's a good point that you brought up. Now, we did, me and you did see him do a tour prior to the Chappelle show starting. He yes. came out, he was wearing a suit, Yes, if you recall, and he did a stand-up, and he, and he annihilated, right? It was a packed house, but Chappelle was famous for Half-Baked in 1998, and then he just did bit parts, but he never caught on in Hollywood. The movies he did after that, The Undercover Brother, The Screwed, all these small parts never caught on. So You got mail with Tom Hanks. Yes, you got mail. So Chappelle's show, for a, a featured comic like him, this is his last-ditch effort to actually break break mm-hmm. and not just be a famous touring comic, you know, which he was at the time, without a shadow of a doubt. One of the most important voices. You agree? Absolutely. I, okay. think, I think Dave Chappelle, as he was, he's, he's a comic that found a way to bring everyone together. Mm. You know, he, he had, he was able to, because look, as a white comic, the second you start speaking on black issues, you're considered an asshole. That's how it's been forever. You know, everybody likes to say, pretend like it's just started happening. I'm like, no, it's been like that for quite a long time. So, I, so you needed a Dave to come along. And during that time, when Dave would be doing his stand-up, all the other, like, you would watch, B, you would watch BET Comic View, you would watch, uh, you know, uh, HBO, um, Def Jam. Def Jam. You yeah. know, and it's like, the, the voice was, the voice towards, towards people were, it was kind of angry, you know? It was an angrier voice. And then Dave kind of came in with this, hey, man, we're all cool, whatever. You know what I mean? And, it, and, and, and with that attitude, you're talking about a guy who grew up, in some rural, small little town in Ohio, right? And then he moved to D.C. when he was young. So he got the best of both worlds. Like, he understood white middle class, and then, then he went to D.C. where he didn't get the middle class. He got the, he, got the, he got the streets. He got that education. So when you consider where he came from, it just makes sense for him to have this kind of impact on, on the world at that time. And it was, it's a very good point you brought up that when he did bring the first episode, the first sketch he does, it's a fake car commercial, right? Mm-hmm. And then he comes out on stage on the show and he does like an intro of little comedy. And the first thing he does was he's like, look at this bleeper. I mean, blooper. Like he, he, he just makes you feel like, oh, we're just running off the cuff of this thing. Welcome to this thing that we call Chappelle Show. This is the very first episode. I finally got my own show. And I mean, I'm serious. When I say this is my show, this is my show. I can show you all whatever I want. As a matter of fact, I'll show you a little bleeper. Blooper. And then they show the bleeper of this girl's tit popping out on the car commercial, right? And everybody's laughing. So he makes you feel exactly like you said, like unified. Like we're all here for one purpose. We're all here to laugh. It showed everyone that, look, I can laugh at myself too. It showed everyone that Dave doesn't take himself seriously. That was a huge move. And and it was was a move that most people don't even recognize. You recognized it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, with everything Dave Chappelle does, he takes everything into consideration. Comedy Central, if, if Dave did have the Chappelle show on a BET, on something that was just catered towards one audience, more or less, do you think it would have had the same impact? Uh, I don't recall anyone not laughing at Chappelle's show, but it ha- if it were on BET, unfortunately, white people probably wouldn't even have given it a shot. Mm. It had to be on Comedy Central. Yeah. It, had to be, it had to be on the same network that gave us South Park. It had to be. It just had to be. Now, having a sketch comedy show on Comedy Central um, for an underrated and very popular road comic like Chappelle was, and a uh, you know, film actor, but not someone that was a leading man, that's, that wasn't something new. Comedy Central rolled the dice with creative minds many times, but they failed time and time again because sketch comedy is a completely different beast. Do you feel that Dave and, and co-creator Neil Brennan felt this is their last chance at the mainstream? before they were just going to be working comics? Uh, yes. I definitely think Neil would have never even gotten a shot. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that as a writer, the guy is brilliant. As a writer, the guy is brilliant. But you have to also be a performer, and Dave was both. Dave was an amazing writer, and he was an amazing performer. But And again, he had his shot at um, network television, there was a show called Buddies, mm-hmm. and he even brings it up on the Chappelle show. He goes, yeah, he goes, uh, 
that wasn't funny, and uh, neither did it. He basically blasted that show for not being funny, mm-hmm. and uh, and it just kind of worked out. I mean, it it it, it worked into it worked into his his little uh, his little stand up routine that he would do before he started Chappelle's show. So again, he has a way of calling back to his own failures, but. I do think that this was probably in his mind, look, this is the way we could show everyone what we can do. You know, we, we had half baked. That was a huge underground hit without question. I mean, it trumps every Cheech and Chong movie. It trumps every fucking dumb high guy movie. Cult movie. Yes. It's a cult. It's movie. a cult. But it wasn't movie. a hit in, in it the wasn't a hit. universal studios. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't a hit, but it was a cult classic. And still to this day, you could throw out any line you want and somebody will laugh at it. If I go, you know, if I, if I say something like, Samson, mom's sick, shut up, bitch. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, there's little things. I'm Cuban B. I mean, dude, all that came from those guys just messing around going, you know what? I'm going to throw that in there. And then and it worked. And yep. it worked. Story. Friend gets locked in jail and his three friends have to sell reefer to make the bail. <laughs> Yo, Doug. Yeah. Wake up, man. Yo, Kenny didn't come home last night, B. We're really worried, man. Yo, he's in jail, yo. Jail? Yeah. I got it. Why don't I break into the lab while I'm working? They got weed there. I'll steal it. We can sell it and we'll make us bail. I don't want to do that. Nah, man. Nah. All right. Y'all want to smoke some weed? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Stop. Yeah. Get on his own, man. Yeah. <laughs> we need a new roommate. And 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 their approach to the show was that hey, we're gonna get canceled at any time, so we're just gonna be as offensive as we can. Um, do you think having that we are going to fail? mentality was important for them to reach the audience that Dude, they reached when you're playing with house money when you're playing with house money and you realize you're playing with house money dude i got nothing to lose mm. you know and you have the when you have we have nothing to lose my mentality and you go for it with your first season you know like most people are a little tentative most people are scared oh i don't know if i want to do that but dave and neil were like fuck it this is it it's either going to make us superstars or it's not. Swing for the stars, man. And on, and on the first episode, that's exactly what they did when they did the, uh, the sketch with the yes, Clayton, Clayton, Bixby. Clayton Bixby. For the last 15 years, a man named Clayton Bixby has been the leading voice of the white supremacist movement in America. Though not sold in any major bookstores, his books, Dump Truck, Nigger Stain, I Smell Nigger, and Nigger Book, have sold over 600,000 copies combined. Despite his popularity, very few have ever seen him due to his reclusiveness, but in an effort to bring his message to a wider audience, he agreed to give his first public interview ever to Frontline. But getting to Mr. Bigsby was an odyssey in itself, riddled with backcountry hollies, shifty go-betweens, and palpable danger. Uh, Excuse me. Not sure we're in the right place. We're looking for Clayton Bigsby. Look no further, fella. You found me. Clayton Bigsby, the author? What, you don't think I can write them books? Just because I'm blind don't mean I'm dumb. How could this have happened? A black white supremacist. Now, if anybody pitched you that in 2003... Would you be like, yo, you're, 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 you, we can't do this? If Dave Chappelle pitched it to me, I, I would immediately go, this is going to be funny. That's, it's because Dave Chappelle pitched it to you. Dave Say Chappelle. Neil Brennan did. If, if, now, if Neil Brennan did it, mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting at. I yes. mean, it's like, it's not the Neil Brennan show, it's the Chappelle show. So the fact that Dave's face was all over it, he was the one that acted it out. You know, he's the one that wrote probably all those really par- those parts where, you know, it just kind of made the hair, hair on the back of your neck stand up. You know, like all those, all those really racist parts. Like he's the one that wrote those parts. He's the one that pushed it that far. And the fact that, the fact that people had a problem with it, is what really bothers me. It's like, look, I understand the history. I understand why it could be deemed offensive. But dude, 
what he's really doing is shitting all over white supremacists. Mm -hmm. That's how he's shitting all over how stupid and how closed-minded they are. That's what he's shitting on. And he's shitting on the fact of how dumb racism really is. We want it. All right. There was a big thing where how long, what should be in the first episode? They didn't want this in the first episode because they didn't think it was representative of the show, which we disagreed with incredibly strongly to the point of like, Ab- absolute anger. Then it was, was like, a bit, this was a bitter battle. Then they wanted to cut this scene. They were like, you can put it in, but cut like five minutes out of it. Which is like, we like your baby, but cut his fingers off because right. he has not to. even cut his legs and dick off. Yeah, that's you're right. He should be a girl. <laughs> Let's cut his dick off. So anyway, we fought, fought, fought. They finally said you can, if you get rid of the musical guest, you can run it all the way through in one segment. It was actually a decision of somebody very high up who saw it and was like, you're right, this is a very important piece. So the, the compromise was cut a musical guest out of the first act. I mean, out of the first episode, which is why there's no musical guest in the first episode. And we could run this in its entirety. And we were very grateful. It was some good executive time. It was like a real mediation on the guy's part. Yeah, everybody was happy. And when we did it, we even liked it. You know, we agreed with him. I think it, this episode plays really well. If... We never wrote anything better than this in our lives. I would, you know, that's a pretty broad thing to say, but this is a really great sketch. I, I agree, and but they also come from a, a school of comedy that's like honest comedy. Yes. Meaning that, look, they know that there are issues with themselves, but they're going to present their views, and if you don't like it, that's fine, but if you laugh they win. See what I'm saying? Yes. That's, that's a style of comedy that, like, like it's, it's not really in 2018 as much. Like, if you... Went, oh, no, everyone's scared in this If day you went age. and saw Richard Pryor, if you went and saw George Carlin, you're not going to agree with everything that comes out of their mouth, but you're just there to hear what they have to say. But in 2003, when this came out, 15 years ago, being deemed racist, homophobic, misogynistic, etc., all the things that they made fun of on the show, which they do in the first season... Yes. In 2003, this was okay, you think, just because Dave Chappelle was behind it? Do you think that he can get away with the same humor if it came out today in 2018? Uh, Dave Chappelle, not someone else. Okay, well, for example, um, he released three comedy specials so far, right, Mm -hmm. on Netflix, okay? And the first one, he got in big trouble because he made a joke about transgenders. Was it mean-spirited? I was smart enough to know it wasn't mean-spirited. He was just making an observation, a very honest observation. Then in his second stand, then when he came back like a year later with a whole nother hour, you know, he brought it up and he brought up how somebody wrote him a letter and they, and, and, you know, and he goes, and I felt bad. He goes, I wasn't going to apologize. He goes, but I felt bad. He goes, because you got me all wrong. He goes, I'm not saying for you to go out there and, and, and not adjust your body to what's going on inside your head. Everybody deserves to have dignity. You know, and that was very poignant for me to hear that. But again, if you make if you make a joke about a group and you do not belong to that group, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. In today's day and age, it's it's a wrap. You know, it's a wrap and you're going to get in trouble and more people are going to blow what you say out of proportion. And they're going to and they're and and the people that and the angry, angry mob mentality, they're just going to twist what you say to match their agenda and make you sound evil. So. The clips that we play of him saying these things that are funny, that are humor, that are all those things in 2003, you feel none of that would fly today. He would have to apologize or his career would stop. Yes, I think enough people would. I mean, exactly what happened after the Netflix special, the first one. I mean, Mm. he got bombarded with tweets. You know, he got bombarded and it's like, and when you listen to what he was actually saying, it's just, again, all it is is trigger words, Pete. That's all it is. People hear a word, they get triggered, and then boom, there is no talking them out of it. This is the place where you were coming from. You were coming from a place of malice. No, I wasn't. I was just making a lighthearted joke. Do you feel that in 2003, Dave was coming from maybe a place of malice? No, Not I don't think so. But do you, why, why was it so accepted in that society? Why did, like I said, the Chappelle Show unified Because everybody. what has happened, but, because in today's society, what has happened recently with today's society is we have played, we have we're playing a very dangerous game of trying to make everyone happy. That is impossible. It's impossible. Okay. Like for example, like you'll see these, uh, you'll see liberal comics. They'll go out there and they'll blast like Midwest. They'll shit on the Midwest. 
and no shit on conservative way of life, saying it's racist, saying it's this, saying it's that, like using these really ugly terms. It's okay for you to shit on these people, but the second somebody makes a lighthearted gay joke, now all of a sudden you, they want to burn gay people on, on a fire, in your opinion? Gay sex is gross. Sorry, I just find it to be gross. <laughs> We're giving too much of a voice to young people. I've said this on the show many, too, many, many times. A lot of the people that are on Twitter, a lot of these, uh, uh, these activists, they're all in their 20s. You know? and, and the thing is, you know what's worse for someone in their 20s? Having an army of morons that just follow you blindly. So no matter what you say, no matter what you say, it's always going to come out. You're, you're going to have a bunch of people going, yeah, you were right, no matter what. You know, and it's like, just imagine that. Imagine me. Remember how reactionary I was in my 20s? Mm-hmm. Still to this day, I'm very reactionary. But imagine how reactionary, imagine how much of a reactionary I was in my 20s. Whenever I fucked up, Pete, you were right there going, dude, you fucked up. You fucked up. You, you, you shouldn't have taken it that far. You, you fucked up. Okay. But the thing is, though, is in, the, in today's day and age, these activists, they just surround themselves with nothing but like-minded people that never questioned them. No, art, I think in 2018, art is segregated. Yeah, it's segregated. It's very too. segregated. And, and, they, and, and if you segregate art, you don't learn the other side of the fence. That's what I'm getting at. And that's a huge problem. Like if you're, if you're, if, and, and, and that's one thing that the Chappelle show in that first season really nailed is that they're not segregating anything. They're making fun of themselves and they're making fun of everyone. They are coming from a point of view, a, a male point of view where they grew up and how they saw things. Again, you know, you get in this, Dave, I'm going to go master it, made, you know, on the spot, you need a close, you need a punch at the end of the, you need what's called in the business a punchline. Am I giving away trade secrets here? Yeah. When you don't have one, masturbate's always good. Something about crack will work. Poop. Poop. Doo-doo. Doo-doo titties. Remember those simple rules. Crack, masturbate, doo-doo titties, and you have a close. Tell the story of Patton, the movie Patton. This is a very poignant thing. Pete was saying when they were getting, when they were getting ready to make the movie Patton, they ended up getting a liberal director. Yes. Francis Ford Coppola yes. wrote the screenplay for, for Patton. And um, 20th Century Fox, what they did was uh, they were like, look, we're, we're going to give the screenplay to someone that's very liberal, that's very open-minded. This is back in the 69, 68, yeah. something like that. When liberals were actually the, the level-headed people. Correct. Uh, I, I, exactly. There's obviously a war going on, all these things. So they gave the script to... Francis Ford Coppola to write. And Francis Ford Coppola said, all right, well, people like General Patton's family, all these people are like, we can't have this guy write a story about General Patton. He's not going to understand it. But when it was all said and done, he actually did his due diligence. He understood him and he made him human. He didn't make him uh, a war leader. He didn't make him vicious. So when that first screenplay came out, um, everybody in the studio was like, wasn't sure about it. But then, you know, you had a, a, a liberal... Um, screenwriter, very hard liberal, Francis Ford Coppola, and then you had a very hardcore Republican director in Franklin Schaefer, and they put those two ideas together. They came together, and they put out one of the best movies about any, yeah, you know, and, any because, biography and, of, of, of anything, and probably the most honest one of, you know, someone that was a, a killer. He, Francis Ford Coppola, he showed that Patton believed in reincarnation. He felt he was a reincarnated, um, you know, general from war after war, and that he was put on this earth to you know, fighting wars, something that everybody else did not want to talk about. He made that a very strong point. And by letting someone with a different mind understand a mind, you get somewhere. Yes. You get something genuine. You get something honest. So if, say, you're a woman... It seems like nothing's honest now. No, that's what it feels like. That's why I feel their first season was honest comedy. It was They're, honest. They, and, but that's the thing is they also did not have to apologize. Right. They can go on to the next week and the next week... A skit like Clayton Bigsby, we're on episode one still of the show, right? Episode one, they fucking dropped it yeah. on. I mean, it was amazing. A, a skit like that would get a show canceled out of just rage these yes. days. Okay? But, so with that, they, they, they open up strong. Despite they, the ratings, by the way. Despite the ratings. The ratings might be super high. 
the ratings might be super high. No. But if you get if you get ten thousand people on Twitter, which by the way makes up a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of the population, and and, and even the list, even the viewership of said show, you know that's who they go to though. Yeah. That's what they listen to now. And now the big conflict between Neil and Dave during this time is Dave wants to be a touring comic. That's his main thing. It's his first love. That's that's what he wants to do. Um, you see as the show gets succeed and more successful that Neil wants to do Chappelle's show much more. He wants this because obviously the money's there. But these guys are working from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. They're working 20-hour days. You know, they're involved in every sketch. They're involved in all the writing process. So... By the eighth episode, this show is a massive hit. So two months in, it is now everybody. And in 2003, people had to tune in at 10.30 p.m. to watch the show. DVRs weren't regular. Their TiVo was around and there were things. But people had to be home to watch this show. And this show was an event two months in. By episode nine, these guys were going to do like a tour, but they had to pretty much tour and write sketches. So now it is infringing in Dave Chappelle's touring life you know, um, because of its popularity. Now, nothing in this whole first season is, 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 is any problems yet. They're completely very happy with the success. They're amazed with the success. They're being who they are, but they also now have the power of a Trey Parker, of a Matt Stone, the other guys on Comedy Central like South Park that can do what they want, which is a blessing and a curse, you know? One thing about the Chappelle show that I always found amazing with them as writers, their premises, their jokes, their punchlines... Uh, Dave said it best. He said he said that a lot of his jokes and his lives as punchlines when he doesn't have an ending go crack, doo doo, titties, masturbate, done. And that's your ending. <laughs> so it wasn't just the jokes. <laughs> it was the inventiveness of the premises of the jokes. Now, what do you feel about that? Because a lot of the characters they do, the crackhead Tyrone, the, the player haters ball, all that stuff, all these characters, they're not inventive. But the premises and the presentation, do you think that was the most important thing? Or do you think in the writing process with them? Well, I definitely think it was the presentation. I mean, just like you said, all right, a crackhead. I mean, look, that's an easy character to just pop up. All right, I think we're going to make him a crackhead. But then... Tyrone, you know I love you. But I feel like drugs is hurting you. And they're hurting me. Tyrone, I was very hurt that you carjacked me that time. What you talking about, right? I would never carjack that ugly ass car. <laughs> car. It's obviously the presentation, you know, it's the way they put it out there. Um, these characters that Dave would do, again, they were so absurd. I think that's the one thing that gets me so upset is it's like, they're so absurd. How could anyone look at that and take it seriously? How could anyone look at that and take it seriously? Yeah, like the crackhead Tyrone character. Like, like, you know, you look at the Clayton Bixby thing. Look, I understand why that would be deemed inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But to look at it and basically, you know, call Dave, oh, you're a sellout. Now, all of a sudden, you just want to be, you just want to entertain the white man. And it's like, no, dude, what? Where did you get that? Where did you get that? But people, but people will, but we live in it right now. We live in a world of, of extremes, you yeah. know, but back then, like that's something that I think a lot of people did miss is that he was uniting yes. cultures by making fun of everyone. Dave Chappelle's educated guest line. Dave Chappelle is not a psychic. He is merely a racist who believes that stereotypes dictate our futures. My boyfriend says my butt's too big. Why would he say that? My old boyfriend liked it just fine. Okay. Okay, have you gained weight? No. Okay, so so your current boyfriend is white. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, your old boyfriend's black, ain't he? Oh my god, how did you know that? Because a brother can't get enough of that ass. If your feelings are hurt watching a TV show because you are a character on the screen that they're making fun of, like mm-hmm. they had they had a sketch in the first season about a girl who had huge boobs, she wished him away. Why is he being so dismissive? What happened to my boobs? You just answered your own question. Them puppies is gone, girl. Just like you wished for. 
How did it go? Not well. That woman was a flat-chested bore. Our clients will never respond to her. For Pete's sake, she's got no melons. So should I tell her she's not getting the promotion? Yes. In fact, tell that titless freak she's fired. Oh, I'm honest. Oh, are guys really like that? <laughs> no. My guys don't like that. If you're a girl with, like, A-cups and you watch that sketch and it hurts your feelings, the audience back in the day would then wait till the next sketch, okay, and where they're making fun of the person you're watching it with, and then you guys can go back and forth. Right. We can dish it out and we can take it because we all have something to be made fun of, white, black, Latino, whatever, right? Culturally, he did that best. And then when it came to celebrities, you know, later on in that, like I said, towards episode nine is when they really blew up. When he was making fun of R. Kelly, and he makes the poo poo and, and right, give me some poo poo, yeah, some of that pee pee. When he when he makes that <laughs> sketch and he and he completely blasts another African American artist, just saying, "Look, dude, I know you're, you're an African American artist. I don't care. You're peeing on people. Right. I'm making fun of you. Or we're not. There, it's not about us being united. You're peeing on people. Well, here was the know? sketch. It was it was Dave saying as a black man. There is no way he could condemn another black artist. So, so he yeah. was making light of the fact that, all right, well then, uh, show me a video. But you know what? To make sure if you're getting the video, the, the newspaper date's got to be in it. And I got to make sure that his grandma's over. You know, and it's like, he made it so ridiculous. He made it so absolutely ridiculous. And the thing is, oh, is was there some truth in that? Absolutely, there was some truth in it, that. It was honest, and it was it, it was, was honest. Yeah, it was a dig, but it was but there was some truth in it. See, rolling around, sitting on doves, can't lie. I was high on shrubs, cooling in my Escalade. Man, I'm paid. I got it made. Take me to your special place. Close your eyes, show me your face. I'm gonna piss on it. <laughs> Whenever, whenever the truth hits people in the face, like for example, one of the most powerful lines, I brought this up to you, one of the most powerful lines ever, ever in stand-up, and it was, it was just a quick line that Chris Rock made when he did his uh, black people versus N-word joke, mm-hmm. remember that, mm-hmm. on the Bigger and Blacker album? The very first thing he says, he goes, uh, he goes OJ killed that woman. He's in North Carolina. The audience is predominantly black, very black, and they boo him. They're booing him, and Chris Rock looks them all, and he goes, you could boo all you want. You know I'm right. And then everyone turned. All of a sudden, this guy's got conviction in his voice. He believes what he's saying. The second he said, boo all you want, you know I'm right, all of a sudden people just started laughing. Then they listened. They got a chance. And that's the thing. That's what Dave did. That's what the Chappelle show did. He gave, he, all of a sudden, he, he was saying these things that people were afraid to talk about, and he would make them so light and, and he would have such a unique spin on it and such a hilarious spin on it that you were laughing. Watch the look on these kids' faces when Dave tells them their parents are dead. How you kids doing? Well, kids, uh, doctor's job is hard. It never gets harder than telling you guys that uh, your parents are dead. the kids coming to pick you guys up and somebody's going to adopt you right like this. I would. All right, guys. Be good. Be good to each other. Hopefully they don't split you up. 
All right, thank you. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. Psych! I'm just kidding. Come on out, Mom and Dad. Come on out. Why did you do this to us? <laughs> Y'all can zap. Case in point, after the Chappelle show, that's when Carlos Mencia came in with Mind of Mencia. Yes, that was that was yeah, the follow-up. And, yeah. and it was the follow-up, and the deal was is they wanted him. He was like, all right, I'm just going to go out there and be offensive. I don't think Dave's point was to be offensive. I think it was just to be funny. A day that none of us will ever forget, no matter how hard we try. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, the crime rate has fallen to 0%. How could that be? Did the Mexicans get money today, too? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Listen, I think we'll be all right. The Mexicans don't watch the news. Now, this was Telemundo. Now, let's, let's look at the negative stuff that may have happened from Chappelle's show in season one. The one thing that I noticed more and more growing up, and this is why, in a way, the other side might be a little bit right, because there was a lot of comics, let, let them be white, let them be this, that thought using the N-word on stage as a punchline, using, you know, uh, I was one homophobic them, slurs. Yeah, yeah I was one of them. Okay. You know, let's talk about that. He gave white people the power to use that and unify that word on stage as a comic, that is a very negative effect. Do you not feel? I feel, here's how I view it. I think that, I think a word is a word. I think if you give, like, let's just look at the N-word. You know what? I mean, obviously, it's a very powerful word. Why is it a powerful word? Because people will react violently if it is said to them, okay? So there's a lot of fear behind that word. And on top of that, there's a double standard behind that there's word. There's also I mean, guilt and there's shame. There's also guilt and shame yeah. with that word. But it's like, me personally, like, when I would do it on stand-up, you know, my whole point was, like, here, here, here's how stupid it is. You know what I mean? Here's how, you know, and I would get a laugh. And the thing is, though, is I would do it in black clubs, you know, like they were like, oh, this white boy's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, but I would do this, I would, I would do this joke. And it was basically about like, if a black dude called me the N word, now all of a sudden, you know, I'm the godfather of their children. They love, you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden they, I'm so loved that they're like, all right, now we have to call this dude this. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And guess what? Black dudes in the audience laughed because they have a white friend that they fucking do that to. Okay. But now in today's day and age, it's been so vilified for a, for a black dude to be like, oh, it's, it's fucking, it's Scotty, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's been my friend since I was six years old. Like, we, we have the same vernacular. We, we grew up the same exact way. Doesn't matter. You shouldn't let him do that. You know, you know and, it's, and there's, this, there's this shame that's put on him for that. And again, you want to talk about segregation. That is very, it's segregated. Segregation. It's yeah. segregation. Now, it's censorship, too. It's censorship. And my deal is this. It's like, I have always, I will always live and die by this. If it's said in the right context, it's acceptable. But again, now the reason why I don't say it, just out of respect, like whatever, man. I don't want to, I'm not trying to be one of these white dudes that's trying to rock the boat. I don't give a shit. That's not a word I use in my day to day life. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a word I use ever. You know what I mean? So it's like, all right, so you're telling me not to use a word that I, I don't use anyway? Well, then don't use it towards me, and then we'll speed this process up a little bit. Ask a black dude and ask a gay dude came from the Luna Lounge. Luna Lounge is an alternative comedy room where people always want you to do something that's not necessarily scripted material. It's a show in New York. So I went there one night and I actually gave white audience members the opportunity to ask me any question that they want to ask a black person. But then I was asking a black dude and then I asked a gay dude we just sort of thought like we should also do that. Yeah, that was just an extension of it. And we got Mark the two best comedians for it, I think. Yeah, can't tell them. Paul Mooney. And part of the reason why we have this huge discourse now in today's day and age is because, like, there are so many, and granted, like, I'm talking about the dumb white people. There are so many dumb white people out there that are like, we can't say anything now. What, you can't say the N-word? Were you planning on saying it all? You know? But again, the thing is, though, on one end, on one end I'm like, you sound dumb. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, again, if I live and die by the context argument, then maybe they might have a good, you know, maybe, maybe they might be able to say something where it is acceptable. Doubt it. I fucking seriously doubt it. 
But it's like, but again, context means everything. And the fact that you're, you're making it out like this word is Voldemort, you know what I mean? Where it, it, it's like the second you say it, all of a sudden evil shit's going to happen. It's like, no, dude, it's just a word. The second you take the power away from the word, the word won't exist anymore. And the thing is, though, is anyone who says that, anyone who says that word, but you're a white dude, say that shit. I'm like, you're dumb. You are dumb. I don't respect anything that comes out of your mouth. There will, be, there will never be anything that good that comes out of your mouth. Because all I hear out of your mouth right now is hate and bigotry. There's no point in listening to you. You have nothing good to add to this planet. I'm moving on. What if you hear um, a comic say it? If I hear they, really think it's, they think they're trying to be funny. Because that's one thing about this show. When it did push these boundaries, everybody knew coming in at 1030 on Wednesday nights that, hey, he's going to try to make us laugh. Right. That is what his goal is. If I heard a comic say it, are we talking like a white comic or a black comic? White comic in 2003. Okay, white comic in 2003. Again, I used to say it. Mm-hmm. I was reaching, you know what I mean? Because I'm over here watching this. In 2003, there was so much amazing comedy, and there were so many things that were getting brought to light, so many new things that were getting brought to light. So, so a joke like that seemed original at the time. Yeah. Looking back on it, guess what? I was probably one of 50,000 white comics that were doing the same exact joke. But do you think the Chappelle show made that happen? Uh, no. It was a cultural phenomenon in a way. No, no. I the reason why the reason why I wrote the joke. I think I even wrote that joke before the Chappelle show because mm. the reason why I wrote the joke is because I had black friends that were always calling me the N word, you know. And it's like that's why I, that's why I wrote the joke, you know. And it's like it's it, there's a fine line, and that and I think that's that's the thing. It's like you you, you people lose sight of, of 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 how different times were back then you know like if somebody just goes out there and they yell you know let's just say like somebody says the word faggot okay not good okay it took me years for me to realize like you know what you sound like an ignorant fucking moron when you say that now i always use it as beta male like that's a beta male he's weak Mm -hmm. you know what i mean that's how i that's how i always met south park did an episode where they use it for bikers for bikers yeah yeah Exactly. So, exactly. I mean, people have done that where it's like, no, this is what it means to me. Right. This yes. is what it means to me. Now, but now when I look back on it, I was a fucking dick. It's not about what it means to you. It's about who it hurts. It, that's correct? exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. And it's like, my thing is, is like, you know, I don't like this words hurt thing. You know, I understand that. Yeah, sure. Certain people shouldn't make certain jokes. Certain people shouldn't say certain things. But on the other on the other end, like when I hear... You know, and I've just heard people make other jokes and people just lose their minds, you know? And one thing about that show is that they made fun of people who weren't like them. Right. Is making fun of people who aren't like you still funny? Yes. Or does society just feel shame for laughing? I will watch something about Mary Mm -hmm. and I will laugh my fucking ass off at Franks and Beans. And if you tell me that's not funny, fuck you. That's funny. Okay. And it's like, and, and it's, it's now even the word retard, you can't say that anymore. And it's like, but what if I'm trying to describe someone? Well, it's special needs, but that, but the, the term special needs, I don't know if you knew this or not. It covers blind people as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you, the special needs covers an array of unfortunate afflictions. Okay. Not just mental retardation, but again, in this day and age, we have to say special needs. Well, we just have to lump them in with those different people. Well, what if the blind guy doesn't want to be lumped in with somebody who's got a, you know, somebody who doesn't have cystic fibrosis? You know what I'm saying? It's like you're, you're, you're making the, you're, all you're doing is trying to compound the problem and you're making it confusing. And thing is, though, is when people get confused, they get angry. And Mr. Ed, worse even than Rin Tin Tin with the accusations lobbed at Flipper. Flipper. But I know him as Jane. The nigga hating dog. That's what he's calling him. He's coming out of the pool and they throw him in the pool. You know, they're scared of black people. The comedic mimicry that the Chappelle show did after the first season, whether it be a white person, a black person, a Latino person, the, mimic, the mimicry of his style of comedy did happen for years followed. Like you just said, Mind of Mencia was something that well, this was is, supposed this... to capitalize on what Dave, Dave and Neil were doing in that first season. Now, but they took it the wrong way. Okay. See, this is, this is what Dave did. That's what makes something, that, and, the, and the, you nailed it. Someone will take someone else's idea 
and 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 try to mold it into a different general different style to a different set of people to a different thing but that's what makes something special is that it can't be taken and mimicked for example it's an original when i started in stand-up comedy mm-hmm. for those of you that for those of you that aren't really educated in the world of stand-up there's a comic named doug stanhope doug stanhope started in vegas and uh he went on the road and he and he achieved some success but whenever he would come back to Vegas, he would go to this bar called Tommy Rockers, and the place would be jam-packed, like 250, 300 people just, I mean, on top of each other to watch Doug. And this was the very, I was 19 years old, this is the very first pro-comic performance I have ever seen. I've never seen anyone co-rush like that, okay? At, up, at, up until that point, it was dirtbag shithole bars and coffee shops. That's all I was doing, okay? Because I wasn't allowed into these other places, okay? So I'm watching, I'm watching Doug, and it's, I'm dying. But the thing is, though, why am I dying? Because he says something about, because he, he went dark and he said something about dead babies, or he did something about abortion, or, or he made some kind of hardcore sex thing. I got it in my head that what made him super funny, what made him super funny was the fact that he would use that language. It wasn't the language. It wasn't the language. It was the writing. It was the delivery. It was everything that went into it. The timing. You know, it, it, it was, that's what made him such an excellent comic. And when Carlos Mencia watched Dave Chappelle and he watched the Chappelle show, he's like, these guys are offensive. I could be offensive. You know what I mean? And it's like, hey, here we're, let's get some fried chicken and, and, and do something with black people. <laughs> hey, let's get some, let, let's, let's let Mexicans uh, drive around and not have car insurance. Ha <laughs> ha. We're so funny. No, you're not. Your fucking shit sucks. You're a hack. And that's all there is to it. What, Dave, what, what Carlos Mencia tried to do is he tried to hack Dave Chappelle, and he fucking failed miserably because he's nowhere near the same stratosphere as a comic, as a writer, as a performer, and as a, and as a deep thinker as Dave Chappelle is. Again, me and Dave write pretty much all of this ourselves, except for the exception of maybe four sketches last year. That we rewrote. Yeah, that, and then we rewrite those. So it was really incredibly hard, and it's it's mostly pretty funny. Some there's some dogs, not many dogs though, and uh, it it it's a hard not like what? No, it's so you know, it's hard. It's a, we there was not a lot of sleep. Uh, this is Rich bitch is from the reparations guest. It's actually Donnell saying it. Yeah, the picture was going to be the news graphic for reparations. Truth of the matter is, I'm not rich, bitch. Not Comedy Central. Nobody at Comedy Central is a rich, bitch, except the owners of it. And Matt and Trey. Yeah, Matt and Trey from <laughs> South Park, exactly. We beat the shit out of these crowds. Like, they come in enthusiastic. By the time we turn them loose, they never yeah, want to laugh Yeah, we'd show three shows. It would be hot. We don't feed the motherfuckers. We don't feed them. They can't really go to the... They can't leave their seats. It's like a field, it's like a high school field trip. And early on, it should be noted, we could not get audiences. Yeah, the first episode, the place was half full. Which was really incredibly hurtful and embarrassing. And so when, when you go with the punchlines of that Dave or Neil would use, the crack, the masturbate, the doo-doo, the titties, like, let's just end it with that. It's not that, like we were talking about. It. It's going to be the present. It's, it's going to be the premise. It's going to be the presentation. Some of the sketches that he did in that first season from the player Hayer's Ball where, you know, they, they had so little time to do that sketch, and what they ended up doing is that they just improved all these things of them making fun of just how they're dressed and looked. And he, he got his best guys. He got Patrice O'Neill, Donnell Rollins, Charlie Murphy, and Dave Chappelle, and they just went to town. That's how a whole sketch was born. That was laugh out loud funny from beginning to end from that show. It was the premise. Player haters ball. One of our favorite sketches. One of our favorite sketches. We don't know if it's our greatest sketch, but who cares? It's our favorite. It's a. It's our most. My favorite character I did all season. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty much improvised. All this is improvised. Again, oh, all improvised. Dave was in like a crazy ass zone this day. He just was. I'm of- actually good at snapping. And was good at snapping, but yeah, that's like one of your hidden talents. But just was improvising. You never improv- like this is incredible improvising. America Undercover presents the Player Haters Ball. 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, real hating, man, that's like an art form, man. You know, it's like, you like a born a hater, you know, like myself, man. You know, a lot of cats, they hate, but man, I mean, I'm mad, you know, I'm mad at everything, man. You know, brother got a nice car, man. Why you got a car, man? I only got one car. Why you got, why you got three cars or a wife or all that, man? I mean, that's played out, man. I hate on a nigga till he's totally broke and ain't got nothing like me, you know what I'm saying? Because, uh, yeah, that's what real hating is all about, man. Player haters ball gives us an opportunity to hate on a diverse array of mock-ass monks, trick-ass monks, punk bitches and skip-scaps, skanks and scallywags, hoes, heifers, hee-haws and hula-hoops. Man, you ought to take that cane and beat whoever made that suit to death. <laughs> you vacuum that coat, man. Well, 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 the most die Follicle haters this side of the Mississippi. But Nancy, what can I say about that suit that hasn't already been said about Afghanistan? It looks bombed out and depleted. And of course, the so-called beautiful. Why don't you click your heels together three times and go back to Africa? Now for you, boss Very insulting what you said about my coat. It's made out of your mother's pubic hair. Right. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go take my throne. Let me give you the nominations for Player Hater of the Year. Y'all ready? First up, Buck Nasty. Buck Nasty is nominated for getting his best friend's wife pregnant. Then tricking his best friend into raising the little motherfucker. Yeah, holla at you, Damn, that's hateful. The next nominee is Silky Johnson. Silky Johnson is nominated for calling in a bomb threat to the Special Olympics, man. Hey, the ninth annual Player Hater of the Year Award is Silky Johnston! First off, I would like to thank God Almighty for giving everybody so much and me so little. I hate you, I hate you, I don't even know you, and I hate your guts. I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else but you. And I sip my soda that I'm sure somebody spit in. <laughs> I just would like to say to all of you, kiss my ass, you rotten motherfucker. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go home and put some water in Buck Nasty's mama's dish. Uh, other sketches like the, the wish the boobs away, we talked about that. The, the video game where a kid was dying of cancer and Dave... <laughs> They, the, the sketch came out of boom in your face. <laughs> it came out of them touring because they were running out of time and they had to finish it. And they were touring and they would play video games against each other on on the tour bus and make fun of each other. Like, hey, how about we take it dark? Right. That premise is good, you know. And and, and you know, the kid dived in, in the the kid dies in the sketch. He's he's cancer. He's playing, you know. Sega against Dave Chappelle. Dave revives him, gives him the control. No, man, you ain't getting out that easy. He keeps beating him. <laughs> Go no more. Tell your little friends, the dreams do come true. Dave Chappelle came and saw you in the hospital and whooped your monkey ass in some street hoops. You think it's my first time? I got PlayStation. I'm rich. I'm rich, bitch. Here you come. Babe, I don't feel good. Could you call my nurse for me? Yeah, yeah, all right, are you all right? Hold on. Nurse, could you come in here please quickly? Billy is getting his ass whooped on street. I need a witness. Oh, oh, ah! It's so good. Billy, it's so good. Billy. Billy. Oh my God, Billy. Nurse! Billy, don't you die on me, don't you die on me. Sticks. Come on, let's go. 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 Let
That's what I'm saying. You can always think it you still knew. It makes me laugh. The dude. premise, exactly. Or the trading spouses. One of the, the trading the, spouses. The final sketch oh, dude, of the first season. So funny. Where where he made me as a white person realize that oh we do use bar soap. You know, on this show taught me that no matter where you come from, you know what I'm saying, or what color your skin is, we all pretty much do the same things in the life. Raise our kids, make love from time to time, and wash. <laughs> Speaking of which, I learned that white people don't use washcloths. Did you know that? I'm serious. They had one bar of soap in the house. Every time I use it, somebody else's pubic hair was in it. So I use the clothes. Why you ain't gonna put the raw bar of soap in your butt and all this? Maybe I need to wash my face on my feet. That was something that came out in the open because of the Chappelle show. Because you had one white writer and you had one black guy uniting us and laughing at us yes. and how we are culturally. With that, guys, that's going to move us over to the second season of The Chappelle Show, which we will be discussing next week. Can't Uh, do it now, dude. Can't do it now, right now. So we are leaving uh, on the high note. Um, One of the things that did just happen after season one is that we did actually go into war with Afghanistan and Iraq. So there's a lot of political changes that change in the course of that first season writing. How many? Yeah, dude, the second season gave us Black Bush. Remember that? Permission to carry out one last mission, sir? What is it, soldier? Permission to die, Sarge. Permission granted. You report to heaven at 0800 hours, and that's an order, soldier. I'll tell him Uncle Sam sent me. Why, God? Why? Don't ask God. Ask Nixon. Why, Nixon? Why? Oh, damn. Yeah. And then and politics come into play. Charlie Murphy, true Hollywood stories. Mm. I mean, dude, it's... And it's we, we will be discussing... Timeless bits. All that next week and also the end of The Chappelle Show. So... Uh, with that, guys, I want to thank you guys for listening to Rise to Offend, Chappelle Show Part 1. And thank you, Brandon, Hey, for, uh, for being here. We'll, be, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, it's going down. You know how I get down. Don't master flex and be clear. All the big dogs know that my man Fisticuff rules the streets. And if you haven't heard that joint, turn my headphones up. You need to get with it. Act like you want it. Watch out for your mouth. All this is high. What? Oh! Turn my headphones up! I'm serious, nigga! Turn them shits up! Turn them up! Hold up! I'm serious, nigga! I can't hear out of this ear! Turn my headphones up! I stabbed a brother in the neck with a butter knife and fit the cup! Just cause! It ain't going platinum, it's going double uranium, Dope son! Uranium, you popping bottles, stabbing people, killing people! Huh! Yeah! Hold up, nigga! I can't hear out of my left headphones! This one, nigga, this is my left. Turn it up. Why you drop the beat out, man? All right, here I go. You ready to rock it? You ready to see how we do on the streets? All right, make that beat drop. Go. Nigga, I said drop, not drum, bro. Nigga, I'm serious. I can't hear out my left headphones. Turn that shit up. Yeah, let that beat ride like that. That's right. Here I come. I'm gonna drop it. Y'all ready? Oh, nigga, drop the beat out. Pump up that bass, pump up that bass, pump it up, uh, from the t- what happened? Oh, well, this beat gonna stop? His lyrics are so tight, they don't even have to rhyme, and the word on the street is late night, one night in the ghetto, my man got shot in his ear like eight times. What? Nigga, I can't hear. Turn up my headphones, turn them up, turn them shits up, put some treble in it, put some treble in it, that's my word. All right, here we go. Hold up, nigga, I need some water. My throat's dry. Why the fuck you expect me to rhyme? If I can't talk, nigga, I'm thirsty. What is this, damn motherfucker? Cop the album that you need. Turn my headphones up. It's on headphone records, baby. There's a lot of heat right here. I want to thank Brandon Guchan for joining me this week. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at your buddy Gooch, Facebook, Brandon Guchan, and subscribe and listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks podcast, metalsucks.net. 
Send emails, let me know what you guys think of the new format and any figures you may want us to cover on the show. I'm always looking for new content. Write on in to rise to offend at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at rise to offend, Instagram rise to offend official. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes today and spread the word. Next week, we will dive into part two of The Chappelle Show. In the meantime, make sure you revisit every episode of the show by going to ComedyCentral.com. It'll be well worth your time, especially for the newer listeners who may not have seen the show 15 years ago. And with that, guys, we will leave you with Dave and Neil's comments and their feelings about the end of season one, the mindset they were in, the place they were at. Until next week, repeat offenders, RTO podcast, signing off. Anyhow, so uh, you guys, thanks for watching the show. Look, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys. And we have a, a great time making the show. It's a lot of hard work, and the fact that people liked it was a relief, and it was the most gratifying thing that's happened in my career to date. This is my best job ever. Yet. It's my best job yet. Uh, mine too. David. Yeah, and we, uh, we truly love you guys. Dave, are, Dave and I are now going to renew our wedding vows. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank and you everybody that and thinks the show is racist, just know that a black person, white person write these racist jokes in racial harmony. <laughs>